This is a very, very special edition of Coffee and Questions. If you guys are used to this format, it's because I've done a few already, and it really gives you an opportunity to join us in the podcast room and ask your question. The way it works, I solicit your questions on social media, I record them, and then I will either answer them myself, or in this case, have my special guest answer them. This podcast is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. Uh, Black Rifle Coffee is what I currently have in front of me. I probably have three or four cups of me already. So if I'm talking too fast, you can blame Evan and the boys over in Salt Lake City for their incredible blends of coffee. It's their fault. It's not mine. Or maybe it is my fault. I don't know. But guys, please visit BlackRifleCoffee.com. Join up uh, on their subscription service. Get all your good caffeine. Trust me, you'll thank me later. Uh, it's also brought to you by Sig Sauer. Six Hour is uh, one of our sponsors here. You'll find out that our special guest recently received a brand new Six Hour P320 pistol. That's my mistake. 320 pistol. I should know better. I'm a Sig 320 armorer. Um, so, <laughs> so you received a 320 uh, by Mike Lover and the good folks over at Sig. And uh, it's guys, a beauty. Yeah. And, and definitely please check them out. Uh, sixhour.com. Go up to the academy. I've taken probably close to 20 courses up to the academy. Good friends with a lot of the instructors. Bunch of Green Beret instructors up there, actually. Um, so John Carlson, shout out to you, buddy. Uh, you have amazing hair. Uh, do not let anyone else tell you differently. Um, but I think you already know that. So uh, we're going to get down to this podcast right now. Uh, so please give it a listen. Here we go. John Stryker Meyer, welcome back. Good to be back, Kevin. It's been oh, a long time. Yeah, I know. It's all. It's been all of what forty-eight hours, I think. At least this, maybe seventy-two. <laughs> um, I am really, really excited for this one because you know, after that podcast that we did the other day, I said, "Man, there are so many other questions that could be answered, and I don't even know where to begin because we just we had so much to talk about." So I saw you at the event with GBRS, and I said, "Hey, let's do a coffee and questions." Yeah. We put out the the request to the followers on social media. And in a matter of hours, I got 30 plus amazing questions that we're going to dive into here. Yeah. Um, and I had a few, I reposted it Yeah, to my, um, like compared to you guys, I only mm -hmm. have 44,000 followers. So I reposted, I had a few questions there. So if we don't cover in your first glance, I'll come back when it rebounds yeah that that sounds like the perfect plan and i'm and here I, as long as you want yeah i <laughs> see too much fun it, it really is you know and i like these questions because it's easy and i'm guilty of this to just drone on and on and on about one topic like if you get me talking about hey what's it like when you teach primitive skills fire skills i will go <laughs> on and on and on and people are like can he just get to the good part right so these kind of keep it fresh. Um, we try to go for like a about a 60 second response. But if there's something that you want to keep going on, go on. You know, like indeed, we'll just have some fun. And, well, and remember the, my motto with your skill, your talent and your equipment. We can go places. <laughs> here, so here we go. All right. All right. First question comes from Brendan Smith, 1656. Any new books planned, Mr. Meyer? Uh, yes. Um, we're going to do Sog Chronicles Volume 2. And I had hoped to start working on it last year, but between moving to Tennessee, uh, the virus, and uh, podcasting, as you know, we're doing the sodcast courtesy of Jocko Willing Productions, mm -hmm. and uh, and we have a grandchild that comes visit us and just oh, so the answer is I hope I'm going to start next month. Excellent. It'll be Saw Chronicles Volume Two. I'm going to revisit one of the major stories of SOG history where the, uh, we lost 16 Green Berets in one night. 
We've had more information on that that's come out since the book was first published on the ground, and we're going to redo that. And then we got other stories that just nobody's told yet. Wow. Yes, sir. Fantastic. Good question. Thank you. Question number two from Defcore underscore Mini Trooper. What is the greatest <laughs> lesson from his experience in SOG? Hmm. Greatest lesson. Shut up and listen. <laughs> I went in as a green, green beret, mm -hmm. and uh, we learned from um, fellow recon guys, SOG recon men, and we had senior NCOs that uh, John McGovern, Sergeant First Class, Pat Watkins, who will appear on a future SOGcast, um, Spider Parks, they talked to the young kids. And any team that came back from the field, we always got a debrief from them, what they learned about tactics, uh, things to do, not to do. And uh, <clears throat> I think that for me was the most important, it was learning how to listen. As a follow-up, yeah. did you ever have to discipline or did you ever notice to start off with guys in the military that were hearing someone talking to them but they weren't listening to the person <laughs> talking to them uh yeah absolutely those are the those are the guys that didn't didn't finish the qualification course going through training group there were some men that would get on a team and they would they'd screw up and uh they'd be out of camp the next day Question number three. This one comes from, and I'm going to butcher this name. I'm going to butcher a lot of names today. Uh, Adu Velius. So Adu Velius. Thoughts on Russia, Ukraine. What, given his experience in the U.S. role in foreign conflicts? Wow. I mean, this one could be answered in about oh, a yeah. second, right? You know. Yeah, but I wish I was there. I mm -hmm. wish we had our recon team right now to go after those commie bastards. And and just in general, um, you know, I th I think that today, particularly in America, with the trend of socialism that's, that's so ingratiating itself now in our schools or universities, uh, pol this political correctness stuff, um, we have to really be on guard and get back to being true Americans. Yeah, I think political correctness has gotten to the point now where it's so politically correct, quote unquote, it's so incorrect. I mean, oh, yeah let's get back to this idea of seeing people for their character, right? Yeah, and our country's not perfect, but I'll tell you what, you go to any other country, you come back, you're just glad to be back in America. Amen to that one. Question four, Chef Jeff Urso. I heard you have a bad opinion of John McCain. What happened? <laughs> well, uh, I, it's a bad opinion, but he, first you have to salute John. He did do a service, and he had a unique issue. His father was an admiral when he was in, so that side of it, uh, I'll give John credit for that. He was shot down. He served as a POW, um, where there are fellow POWs who uh, who hold him in low esteem. And as a U.S. senator, I thought he was a complete disgrace. And uh, when he ran for president, how he did it was was poor. And again, it was a lot of his ego. So instead of really being out there for America and working, I was really disappointed in, in what he had did there. And he and John Kerry are allies who've done more to fight America's POW MIA issues over the last 30 years. And I don't understand it. I'm sure there's selfish reasons why. And But to put it on record, they both suck. If John Kerry were here, I would be glad to explain that to him. I'd gladly step out of the room and let you guys <laughs> sort that one out. Question number five, Russ JC16. 
If John had to bring one modern day SF warrant officer on a mission, who would it be? Oh, oh, oh I know a few, but the, the warrant that I know now is out of uh, third group, 3116. And uh, it's chief warrant, uh, let's see, chief warrant two, I think he's a two now. But anyways, his name is Rusty. We'll let it be at that because he's still in, we can't go mm -hmm. any further. But uh, I first met Rusty and his team in 2012, a friend sent a note from Rusty inquiring where could he get a SOG recon team patch. And I, at that time, they were very scarce. I had an extra one. So I sent Rusty a note back. And he, he and his team were in Afghanistan. And uh, so a note came through. I said, Rusty, I've got one. I'll mail it to you. Give me your address. But you got to promise me you'll get it dirty. Yes. I mailed it to him. He did it. And by the end of that... Uh, his, his entire team, the ODA 3116 in Afghanistan, uh, they all had different SOG state recon patches. And they went back for a second deployment with two other A-teams. The other A-teams took casualties. 3116 did not. And they said it was because we wore our SOG shields. <laughs> so cool. So it would be rusty. Fantastic. I'm biased. I, I really respect him over the years. It's been eight. Oh, 12, 10 years now. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. That's right. We're in 22, right? That's right. That's oh, like, last time I checked. Um, <laughs> this next one, this is this is the anomaly. But guys, here, here's the deal. With coffee and questions, if you send me 12 questions, I will probably answer all 12. And this is just a prime example. So this next person who sent in the question is a foreigner. His Instagram handle is Yim Yuhan Peter. And he's asking five questions. So guys, if you don't ask questions, you snooze, you lose. Here we go. First of five, does he like reading books such as Forgotten Ruin series around the story of U.S. Army Rangers? Never heard of it. So I have not read it. If I did, I would be glad to give you an opinion at that time. Okay. Second question. Does he like Matt Rendar's art? I think so. <laughs> but I'm not 100% sure because there's... Uh, there are two young artists. One is a Navy SEAL, Justin, I forget his last name. Mm -hmm. And then the SF medic named Sam McIntyre, who's been talking to Mike and will be here uh, next month. They do incredible renderings. And um, and I think I've seen other things by Matt, but I'm not 100% sure. So We can look it up afterwards. Yeah, we will. All right, next one. Third question of five, his thoughts of tiger stripe camo clothes from Mac V SOG time to recent fifth special forces green beret use. Oh, you know, um, we never wore it in the field because in 68, there are several different kinds of, uh, of uh, fatigues that were the tiger stripes. One, the material was too thin, it would be torn up. The other, the other two were too thick so that when you got wet and you're often wet in the jungle, they wouldn't dry and uh, you you would be subject to to body rot, particularly in wrong areas. So it just wouldn't dry. So we wore the conventional fatigues, which we, which we modified with additional four more pockets added to it. Mm -hmm. And for today's, I've heard that they've got it and I've seen some, hey, it's tiger stripes. <laughs> Question number four. What types of MREs does John prefer, not just from his younger times, but also right now? Well, you know, I haven't been exposed to many MREs. And in my day, 
my favorite was the, uh, they had the beef stew mm-hmm. or chicken and rice. And so we had Lerps. So you had a, a plastic bag with this uh, dehydrated, you put water in it, wrapped it up, put it next to your body, you move for an hour or two, you take a break, and then body heat, your rations would be at body heat. Last question from this particular user. What type of coffee from Black Rifle Coffee Company does John like? Murdered out. So at home, and of course, <laughs> I, I also, I'm addicted to their espresso uh, with cream. Yeah. And my wife looked at the sugar count and asked, she said, don't bring any more home. There's too much sugars. So I have to sneak it when she's not looking. (laughs) All right. Moving on to question number 11. Uh, So remember, we're about a third of the way through, guys. Uh, This is Coffee and Questions coming at you. From Flash Actual, what is your proudest moment as a SOG veteran? Oh, Mission Accomplished, which was, we had a few, but the, uh, the one that sticks out is, of course, Thanksgiving Day. Mm-hmm. 1968. The mission was our six-man recon team had to find, help find three NVA divisions. It was a total of 30,000. We found two of the three and barely escaped uh, to talk about it. Wow. Question number 12. This one comes from a user named Dali Baj, D-A-L-I-B-O-J, AK-47 or VZ-58. Oh. I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with a VZ-58. I'm not either. I've, I've never heard of that one. Yeah. The AK-47 is reliable. However, I must say by its design, uh, the user did not have the quick, efficient uh, mechanisms in place that the CAR-15 had for replacing a magazine and getting a new magazine in. Patty Gone Bush asks, we need a TV series <laughs> Patty about- Patty Gone Bush. Patty Gone Bush. <laughs> Sounds like Kevin Owens, right? Yeah. <laughs> we need a TV series about the escapades of Mac V Sog missions. Um, we joked the other day, or at least, you know, Mike Lover joked. He said, you're like a, in some of the early photos, you're like a, a taller Matt Damon. Indeed, uh, my illegitimate son. He's your, except he went a little bit left leaning. Yeah. You know? Far left. Yeah. Just, yeah. Maybe a little left, maybe a lot. He went to Holly weird left. That's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe we can get him to play it. Um, he's too old now. Yeah, because how old were you over there? Uh, when I arrived, I was 22. Yeah, Damon's at least double that. Oh, at least now. And he's, he's got a little paunchy looking. <laughs> he doesn't have that tight look when he first broke in. <laughs> Jason Silverado 11. So Jason underscore, Sil- Jason underscore Silverado underscore 11. Not a question, just a statement. John Stryker Meyer is a national hero. No. DB Herson 93 says... How often does he think about his time in SOG? Every day. Follow-up question from the same gentleman. What advice does he have for young people today? Wow. Well, first and foremost, uh, think about John F. Kennedy's words. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And we need that more than ever today, particularly with the socialist infiltration into our system, our government. Look at a couple of these women that are in Congress right now. They're a complete disgrace. And we have to, like Mike said the other night at that Q&A we had there, um, we had to retake it from the local level up, do it the right way, without violence, but the democratic process. Yeah, and the, and the expression is all politics is local. You know, people say, well, I want this change. Well, you gotta build up to it. You gotta build that momentum. And you gotta start with your, your local 
uh, civic organizations and you got to work with your municipality and then eventually get it to the state level and then hope that the state level other states will see what your state is doing and then it reaches national but you can't expect change overnight and when people say well my vote doesn't count well if you are only getting out there and just pulling that lever on that machine or marking that box and you're not talking in the process it doesn't have as much weight as someone who is actively pursuing their interests in this country you know and, and talking to neighbors and, and finding out like hey how can we promote this common common cause and common good so yeah i, I completely well, agree and don't forget like we said the other night mm -hmm. when, when mike was talking about this we have to go back one of rush limbaugh's last broadcast he paraphrased joseph stalin which you think about that dichotomy um he said it's not important how many people vote it's most important as to who counts the votes mm -hmm. and in america as we saw in 2020 um, how their vote, votes are counted, this whole issue of the mail-ins that go out to all people that can be, and, and then uh, the ballot box, just having Facebook and those people put out <clears throat> boxes that can be, no, no, we have to be back where every vote that comes in is accounted, and voter ID. And please don't tell me it's racist. You can kiss my ass on that one. Amen to that. Question 17, James D. Third, what did you like the most about Vietnam as a country when you were there? Oh, you know, had it not been for a war, I probably would <clears throat> never come home. It was a beautiful country. Once you got used to the humidity, uh, the monsoons, but the people were wonderful people. Mm -hmm. um, my teammates and I were very close, got to meet some of their families. You know, like Sal, who was <clears throat> our, our counterpart, our Vietnamese counterpart, all he was was a farmer, but he didn't want to be living under communism. And so he was our counterpart. He was married. Um, they were pregnant. They lost a child at, at birth. We went through that together as a team. And, uh, and it's just beautiful. I mean, flying over South Vietnam, even when you saw the bomb craters, it's just incredible. I'll never forget, we had a, a VR. We're up by the DMZ, right to the western end of the DMZ, where it goes into Laos. And they have spectacular waterfalls there. So Lynn Black and I are in a helicopter. We gotta come back here someday for a vacation <laughs> by the waterfalls. <laughs> we never made it back. Well, you still have time. Indeed. Still have time. <laughs> Question number 18 comes from Will underscore RR underscore. Did you ever feel the 10 inch barrel of the car 15 couldn't perform well at distance? No, never. Um, I had one opportunity where I had a shot that was at least over 100 yards. And it was a situation where an NVA soldier had climbed up into a tree. He didn't know where we were. He was looking for our team. And I could see him, but he didn't know I could see him. And he had his RPG, so I didn't shoot him. He got the round, put it in. I didn't shoot him. I was hoping he would just get, go down. But he finally put it in. One of our guys moved. He saw Sone move so then i one rot one shot took him out i think that answers your question will underscore rr underscore <laughs> question number 19 comes from foy j14 his go-to concealed carry pistol oh well in a day back when we were in Nam, believe it or not we had the small browning 25 caliber that you could hold it in your palm of your hand and not see it. 
and it's it, it's very effective. It's small. If you need it, it was obviously close quarter. And Lynn Black has an amazing spinoff story. He came back from Vietnam. He had one. He was in a hurry, thought he was taking a shortcut, but wound up outside of the main quarters. And he got in a long outside uh, pathway at night. And four or five folks came up to him and said, you know, you're just back from Vietnam because Lynn was in uniform. And they said, you've got all that cash. We, we want to relieve you of that burden. So Lynn pulled out his brownie, jacked around in the chamber. The guy, you can't fool me. That's a cigarette lighter. Well, Lynn put a round between his legs. They left. <laughs> so that was my preferred at that time. And now I'm going I'm to go home and test fire my new preferred carry conceal. That is a nice gun. That's uh, oh. that's the aluminum framed 320, uh, the X carry. I believe the the frame is called the XCG, um, and it's from the custom shop. So if you guys don't know about the Sig custom shop, oh, it's from the custom shop. Oh yeah, yeah. You can go on there. You can build out guns. I mean, I think that one has mahogany handles. Like it it's, does. It's beautiful. It's nice. Um, it's so pretty. Maybe that's why I just go home. It was just hanging over the mantle, you know. Yeah, I don't see you as the type of guy though that that has displays. I think you're more like it looks better in my hands being used. So I don't know, but you, you can do whatever you I, want we, with that. I told I told my wife about it. She's very excited too. Well, that means we it's probably now in. hers. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. Next question. This one's actually a statement and a question. This one comes from John Hop seventy seven. This dude's balls make drag marks in asphalt. <laughs> Listen to another podcast he did. So, John, I need to ask you, mm. when you walk, do your balls, in fact, make drag marks <laughs> on the asphalt? <laughs> Whose fault is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but uh, no, the answer is no. Uh, thank you. Thanks for the laugh <laughs> and the kind words. <laughs> Question number 21 <laughs> from Fran Hildwine. <clears throat> King bee pilots or sea wolves? Who were better? Um, and without his stories, I wouldn't even know to ask. Thanks for telling the story. So, king bee pilots or sea wolves? Well, that's that's not even fair. I think the the way around it, the sea wolves. Uh, for any of your listeners who aren't aware, the sea wolves were the premier navy aviation unit that worked with the seals and other or navy groups down south, in country, and they really are phenomenal pilots. A good friend of mine today was a, he retired as a colonel. Uh, as a young officer, he earned his spurs with the Sea Wolves. The King Bees, because of a, my personal experience, I'm alive today. Our, our recon team was saved literally under fire mm -hmm. so many times I've lost count. And particularly in 1968, early 1969, virtually every time we came out under fire, um, was in a King B, an H-34 Sikorsky, flown by South Vietnamese pilots, Captain Tuong, Captain Tin, are highest in my priority list of uh, personal experiences. And um, they just had incredible valor and aviation skills. So I would say uh, there's probably a mutual admiration society there because I've talked to a couple of Siwas, explained what the King Bees did. And of course, they were flying the old Sikorskis, which had the nine-cylinder engine, where the Seawolves had the state-of-the-art Hueys. Uh, Whenever a new model would come out, they got it. And they were just phenomenal. And I've, I've talked to SEALs who had their ass saved mm -hmm. by the Seawolves. So it's like the, what's called the Mutual Admiration Society. 
I'll take that answer. Question 22. This one actually comes from a very good friend of mine, uh, someone who I've spent a lot of nights in the, the woods with, uh, <laughs> former, uh, well, I should say a veteran, SEER graduate, gr one of the greatest Americans I know, solid worker, family man. Uh, you Instagram handle is Allegheny Frontier. It's Ed Arnold. And he says, seeing those SF training vids from the 50s and 60s, uh, what type of survival training did you have to go to Florida uh, or go go to Florida for? In our day, we didn't. <clears throat> we had basic survival training uh, as, as we went through phase one and then uh, right before we went to our final phase of training. And it was minimal mm -hmm. and um, just enough to get by and uh, nothing like today's training. Follow-up question, also from Ed. Did he know Terry Boblitz? No. Okay. Question 24. Move with Mikey. Uh, planning a summer road <laughs> trip. With Mikey. Yeah, that's his username. Move with Mikey. Um, I don't know if it's Mikey Hernandez. I don't know if it's Mikey Glover. I don't think we ever called Mike Glover Mikey Glover. I think Nobody's going to call Mike Mikey. I don't think. If you guys are looking for a coffin and a grave, yeah. call Mike Glover Mikey. Um <laughs> I don't advise it. Indeed. All right. From Move With Mikey, planning a summer road trip around the United States. Mm -hmm. Pack a 10 and a half inch or 16 inch 556 or just my everyday carry. <laughs> well, I think you'd probably be more comfortable with your everyday carry because more concealable, whereas the 10 inch, it might be a little bit awkward if you're in the driver's seat. Yeah. Going into Chick fil A. Right, yeah. Yeah. I don't like leaving guns in rental cars, by the way. Like my car, I've got a lockbox, but. Not a big fan of leaving guns in in rental cars if I can't have them with me at all times. So indeed, I'm gonna, I'm gonna if you're in corrupt California. Yeah, I would say if it's your vehicle and you have a way of securing that gun, I would say number one, try to bring it into your hotel room every single night. Right. Number two, if you can't do that, if you're like at a trailhead and you know the normal the baseline is people carrying handguns, carry that. Um, you know, having gone to Alaska a bunch of times, I'll tell you that a lot of people hike with handguns. You don't see a lot of people hiking with rifles. Um, but I will tell you also that I will gladly take an AR-15 platform over a handgun in terms of accuracy at distance. And it's always the concept of better weapon, better position. What's better than your handgun, a rifle. So you can make that decision. Move with Mikey. Um, I just, I, I suggest that you move in the correct, correct, uh, direction you got to tell mikey about what you carry when you're in bear country in alaska oh yeah yeah what so, would you, what'd you carry there so uh, anything bear, to stop a bear yeah just... bear country in alaska there's two calibers that i love for long guns actually three um i love my <laughs> my 300 wind mag right because that doubles as a hunting rifle so people think like oh i need to carry a bear gun plus my hunting rifle you're hunting rifle is pushing out a around at 2800 or 3000 feet per second it's got way more capability of, of dropping a bear than a handgun that's barely breaking the the skin elasticity the tissue elasticity threshold uh, that a handgun can't do so uh, i'm a big fan of 300 wind mag i'm a fan of 4570 i like 12 gauge with hard cast slugs um but that's again Bears, four-legged critter, not people, two-legged. So uh, much bigger than two-legged. Yeah, just a little much bit stronger. bigger. I mean, I've seen some big dudes. I've seen some big women, but <laughs> nowhere near, uh, nowhere near the size of a uh, of a grizzly. All right, next question from Will Wilson the Third. Do you believe that Mac v. Sog would secretly be reopened for a future or current conflict? Hmm. Um, I wish. 
<laughs> particularly for the current conquest. Um, there's, uh, I have to be careful here. Mm -hmm. Let's just let it be. I wish that Arsog could come back because I have to tell you a quick story as a sidebar here. When uh, we had 9-11, <clears throat> I had met my interpreter, Hep, a year before that, a year and a half before that. And when they hit the towers, Hep called me up. He says, my, you can never say Meyer, my. He says, you and me, we have to get a King Bee. We go to Vietnam. We go get Sal, who is our sentient counterpart, right? And we go get those commie motherfuckers that fuck with our country. That's amazing. Yeah. I think that answers your question, Will Wilson III. Moving on to Hunter underscore Lee 53. You kind of alluded to this one earlier. If you were in Ukraine right now, what would you do? Oh, find a local militia and team up. And then uh, besides the Molokov cocktail, see if we get a couple anti-tank uh, mines in major roads. So when they wrote, wrote over it, we'll send them up in the air and blow them apart. When I was watching the news this morning, there was a discussion of how you can tell the Ukrainian rebels from like military guys. And they were saying that the Ukrainians now um, are using, and I don't even, I, do, I don't even want to say what they're doing, but let's just say that they're identifying themselves while wearing civilian clothes where they know who each other is just by something that they're putting on there. Right. right. Um, and they made reference to uh, Vietnam. They said, you know, if you look at insurgents, they can look like a civilian, but they can pick something up and become a combatant very right. quickly. So it's just interesting. If you guys don't believe me that concepts in history repeat, just please watch the news, but realize that news today, it's called programming for a reason. So watch multiple news channels and try to figure out where the truth is that falls in between the, the multiple networks that are out there. Well, I have to watch in one particular network, I think is oh, much yeah. more pointed. They got correspondence on the ground. Mm-hmm. But we won't mention any names because they don't advertise with us like Black Rifle Coffee does. That's right. And Sig Sour. That's right. I love the subtle product placement. Subtle but Indeed. not subtle. I'll All drink right. to that. I'll drink to that one too. <laughs> Question 27, 603 underscore gear underscore exchange. Tilt, do you still have your car 15? Negative. I'm sorry to say I wept when I turned mine in each time. After my first tour of duty, turned them in. And then my second tour of duty... What I, I was a staff sergeant at that time. So I left when came home because I was at E6. They did not check my bags. And when I returned to Vietnam, I received a brand new Car 15. It was still all the wrapping, mm -hmm. the, the aluminum bag, then the, whatever the wrapping was inside. And of course, there was something else, another box or a container. Took it out, took it out, go through the range, perfectly zeroed. I never touched anything on that weapon other than cleaning it. Wow. Follow-up question. This is one that we talked about just before we got live yeah, on this yeah. podcast. We were uh, briefly just talking about the Mac V SOG Bowie knives, the knives. Yes. And you were just about to finish the story or about the like the crescendo of the story. And I was like, got to save it for the podcast. So <laughs> uh, let me follow up with a question for all you knife nerds that are out there that want to know about the, the Mac V SOG knife. Do you still have yours? No, mine is in Laos. I'm sorry to say. And the Mac V SOG knife was developed by Ben Baker, who was the chief uh, civilian at CISO, C-I-S-O. I forget what that the acronym stands for, but they were based in Okinawa. They were the direct supply chain to SOG. 
and that we got experimental weapons, rations, clothing, boots, all came through them, and uh, including a SOG knife. So uh, when I first got on uh, Idaho, I was issued my SOG knife, had it on the web gear, and in November, um, I got exfiltrated from a, a target on rope. I got turned upside down as I was flying back, and the Swiss seat went down to my feet. All my gear choked me out, and I th and right before I passed out, I saw my life flash before my eyes, and I saw the headlines in the newspaper. I was disappointed because the headline was below the fold, <laughs> and then it said, "Local boy dies in Vietnam." I said, "It's a lie. I'm going to die in Laos." And I was embarrassed to think about dying in Laos, kind of hanging upside down from a fucking helicopter. So, anyways. Uh, what I didn't realize was Captain Tuong, a Kingby pilot, uh, had was was descending at that time. And when I passed out, I thought I fell elephant grass, but I wasn't sure. But I only fell maybe 12, 15 feet. Landed in elephant grass. Henry King came out, opened up my web gear, cleared my throat so I could breathe again, picked me up and threw me in the helicopter, leaving my SOG knife, my CAR-15, and my Saldoff M79 in a stylish, customized Sawed off M79 holster. It was painful. Oh. But at that, and my head bounced on the floor. What I remember most was my head bouncing on the floor. It hurt so bad that I'm going, oh, thank God for pain. I'm still alive. This next question, we're coming to the end of this, uh, comes from another very good friend, uh, a, um, a child of, of an army vet. He moved around a, a whole bunch. Uh, he's actually a retired um, SWAT lieutenant. That's why we call him Lieutenant Mike. Um, we have a lot of Mikes in my my circle. Mike Travis, you know, <laughs> Mike Lightchock. So we call him Lieutenant Mike. And we're, we're using good Mikes today. Oh yeah, yeah. Another Mikey, right? <laughs> Paraphrasing. Uh, do you think it is crazy the missions that you were greenlit to go on would likely never be allowed today? Examples: no air support, limited supplies, etc. Like, do you think it's crazy that? they let you do those things. Every spec op operator from today's war, the last 20 years that I've talked to, from Jocko Willink, Andy Stumpf, Mike, mm -hmm. <laughs> our Mike, and uh, even Sean Ryan. He said, you guys did shit that we we couldn't even get past the planning board. They wouldn't, their, their command today would be so risk averse. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, I'm glad to hear that, but on the other hand, I'm kind of disappointed. You like to think they've rolled the dice just a little bit more particularly now that we're dealing with the commies one more time. That's amazing, right? Like, yes, sir. It, I, I can't believe that, you know, there are a lot of people right now that are quoting Red Dawn, you know, and they're like, oh, oh <laughs> Russian invasion or Soviet invasion on this country. And, and well, they made that Korean in the movie just so it wouldn't offend the oh, Russians. The, the new movie, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent. This is your, I'm Indeed. interviewing you, but let me just put it this way. Um, oh, God. Oh, you're going to drink, right? When they're talking about, the, the animal, he goes, no, it tastes terrible. No, my, my jet is, is Patrick Swayze, right? And Charlie Sheen, you know, like I, 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 I will always embrace that eighties movie for how it made me into who I am today, like interested in survival and whatnot. Right. But, uh, oh God, they never should have, they never should have remade that movie. Like l let it be. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or if you are going to make that movie again, make it over the top patriotic the way that the first one was, um, man. That, that just drives me nuts. All right, I got to get off the subject. Rob Gray 540 says, did John know Dick Meadows? Uh, I met him very briefly. Um, when I met Dick, he, he this was long after he had a very 
um, record-setting tour duty with uh, at FOB2 and Contum, running recon missions there with his team. And his legend that will live forever, um, his team, under his direction, brought back 12 or 13 live NVA POWs from Laos. And amazing man. Um, he was also in Iraq on the ground in, um, no, sorry, in Iran for the hostage uh, situation where the, they had the, uh, the debacle in the desert under Carter, where the, uh, the C-130 C collided with the Marine helicopter and we lost several men there. Mm -hmm. um, Dick was on the ground in Iran. And uh, so I met him at CCN. He was to have be, been promoted to a captain and he was the commanding officer of our recon company at CCN Da Nang, and uh, just a, just an amazing amazing officer, soldier. Question number 30, uh, this one comes from my friend Todd Jensen of IPD Jiu-Jitsu in Tolland, Connecticut. Um, son of Bent Jensen, who recently passed away. Bent was a solid, solid human being and impressive man. Definitely made his son the man he is today. Todd asks, did you ever see or witness any Russian advisors or troops on the ground during your operations or hear about Russians in your area of operations? Uh, personally, never saw any, but in November of 68, <clears throat> we were on a mountaintop and we were socked in during the day. But that night, uh, we heard a Russian aircraft come in for an aerial resupply in Laos and several mountain ranges away, the mountains lit up mm -hmm. and it was just like, it looked like Broadway because we were in the mountains, dark. And then over here, a few mountains away, is this, this whole uh, LZ or drop zone lit up. They came in, we heard them talking Russian. Wow. And so I'm on the radio trying to get some kind of attack air out there to knock these commies out of the air. Couldn't, couldn't get them. Uh, we had uh, Scarface uh, pilot George Miller was in the DMZ in 68. And he had just made a gun run and was pulling out. As he pulled out, he observed a Russian in uniform in the DMZ. So he did a quick loop, tried to come back, hoping he'd still see him so he could put a 275 up his ass. And the guy had DD him out. He was gone by that time. Um, so there's also, now it would be approximately 14, 15 years ago, a YouTube came out where the Russians had an anniversary, a reunion from the quote, Russian secret war. And that document, that documentary said there's over 3000 Russians that had served in North Vietnam and some had come south. Um, and they were mostly anti-aircraft and some would train North Vietnamese pilots and, uh, but a few were on the ground, obviously, doing radio intel, uh, training uh, the NVA, because even we knew they had extremely good RDF, radio direction finding, and they monitor FM frequencies. Years later, we learned um, a CIA uh, operative, after the wall came down, he was in what was then East Germany, talked to the Russians who were in the Vietnam War, and they were amazed that SOG didn't have better radio equipment. 
and they went in great detail about how they monitored our traffic, which we assumed they did. So we tried to minimize our, our radio traffic. So they were there. And last but not least, we had a mission. It was called Operation Tailwind, a four-day successful mission where a, a Green Beret, a hatchet force out of Contum, led by Captain Gene McCarley, on the ground for four days. They uh, took out two supplies or way stations, a huge intel scoop. And uh, on the third day of that mission, they attempted to medevac some of their WIAs and wounded in action. And one of the men was Doc Padgett. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the helicopter that they were attempting to lift out the wounded on was severely damaged. They had to abort. It crash landed. And the second helicopter came in and took them back. And um, Doc told the story how when they were flying back, the pilot had to duck and dodge around ACAC, like a World War II ACAC like that you see. It's an anti-aircraft that explodes in high in the air. And when it explodes, it can take out an aircraft. Well, 15 years later or 20 years later, Doc was in Pakistan, not Pakistan, Ubikistan, one of the stands. Mm -hmm. He's there on a training oper operation with one of our government agencies that shall remain unnamed. And sitting next to him was a young Russian lieutenant who observed his special forces insignia. Long story short, he says, are you SF? Yes. Were you in, ever in Laos? Were you in SOG? Yes, yes. And then Doc didn't want to answer any more questions. And the kid goes, this young lieutenant, Russian, he says, my dad was in Laos. They figured out the time frame, and his dad was the one that may have tried to shoot Doc out of the sky with Akai. So the Russians were that far south. So that's a little sidebar story with Doc Padgett. So Todd, I hope that answers your <laughs> question, buddy. And uh, you know, still praying for your dad, and you know, may rest in power. Indeed. All right. Last question that I have for you, John, is uh, question number 31 from D underscore dub, and it's kind of a fitting question. Um, and then we'll go to the ones that you received. What was the craziest moment in a SOG mission? And I don't know how you want to define crazy, but the craziest moment in a SOG mission. Wow. For me personally or just any SOG? I guess you can answer it however you want. Well, I, I think that uh, uh, one of the most amazing missions that we ever had was October 5th, 1968. We had a nine-man recon team, uh, Spike Team Alabama that went in. Mm -hmm. They came up against a 10,000-man NVA division. They were on the ground in Mortal Kombat all day. At one point, the recon team, Spike Team Alabama, the team leader was killed, the point man was killed. Lynn Black effectively took over the team leadership for the rest of the day. And Lynn was a 173rd um, airborne trooper who had a tour, previous tour of duty. And he was able to get the team out. At one point, they had killed so many NVA that they began to stack the dead bodies up and they ran out of ammo. So they were collecting AK-47s from the dead soldiers, their ammo, and then they would hide behind the stack of dead bodies for the next wave attack would come. And at one point, when they were particularly low on ammo, um, the muskets, the 176th out of the Americal Division, came in, and one of the helicopters came in and hovered in front of the team facing an oncoming wave attack with miniguns. 20 years later, Lynn Black talked to the NVA officer who triggered the ambush on his team that day. Oh, my gosh. And the inexperienced team leader had walked that team into an L-shaped ambush where they had 50 NVA up on a 
arise above the team. And during the contact, um, all the team members were down on the ground shooting from the prone mm-hmm. or shooting up at the NBA, shooting down at them. But Lynn Black stood there, fired his 20 rounds, and he said, I was going on shooting one by one, bump, 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 single shot, replace the magazine, continue to shoot. And I said, sometimes when I shoot, some people would spin around. I had to shoot him two or three times. Well, near the end of his conversation with the North Vietnamese officer, um, Lynn was said, you know, we, that was a bad day for us. We lost three men. And the two Vietnamese were really good team members. The team sergeant needed a little bit of work. But he met his, his fate. Um, he said, we lost three men. And the NBA general, this time, he's, by now he's a general. He says, well, you know, uh, between you and the uh, air support from the Sky Raiders, the gunships, you inflicted 90% casualties on us that day. And Lynn goes, well, I saw your NVA flag. That's why I told the team leader we had to get out of there. And the team leader wouldn't listen to him. And he says, I assume it was like a battalion, maybe 3,000 men. And the officer goes, no, it was 10,000 men. You inflicted 90% casualties on us. Oh, my God. So the ratio was we had three, they had 9,000 that were killed, wounded, or went missing in action to were burned up by the napalm. Here's the kicker. It gets better. The officer goes, who was the man with the radio who stood up shooting at my men? Lynn goes, that was me. He goes, you shot me three times. And Lynn goes, I remember he's shooting these guys. Some of them spun around. I had to shoot them two or three times. Oh, One of them was the officer who gosh. had triggered the ambush on his team. That, I think, <laughs> yeah, that earns the medal for uh, craziest thing I've oh, ever heard. Can you imagine? 90% out of 10,000. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, and we had an amazing tack air that day. And uh, and Lynn Black, at one point, he was knocked unconscious. The impact of the grenade was so severe that it, it permanently damaged his car 15. <sighs> and he remembers waking up because Cowboy was the his Vietnamese interpreter. Uh, was He remembered Cowboy kicking him to wake him up because he was unconscious. So then they went back. He carried the AK for the rest of the day. Wow. Just another day in SOG. So I am, I'm out of mine. I'm, I'm spent. <laughs> um, but I know you received a handful of questions. Uh, I did receive a couple. Maybe just take a half a minute break. Yeah, yeah we could do that. Let me just uh, find, uh, there was a couple in so, particular. One was really good. So guys, while John is uh, looking this up, just a reminder, uh, this podcast is brought to you by Black Ruffle Coffee. It's brought to you by Sig Sauer. I would highly recommend that you guys check out both of those companies. We're good friends with the folks over at Black Rifle. I'm currently finishing up my third cup of the day. Uh, Sig Sauer, they've got a lot of cool things coming out. Uh, We are doing some interesting content with them over the next year. And if you guys get a chance and you live in the Northeast, please check out Sig Sauer Academy. It's up in uh, Epping, New Hampshire. Don't confuse it with Exeter. Exeter is the Uh, location of the facility where all the guns are made. Epping is where the academy is. And if you go up to Epping 
ask the instructors where you should eat. If you ask them about the local barbecue joint, which I'm not going to name other than saying it's very good, um, <laughs> you'll know it when you hear, just ask for the good barbecue place, the goody barbecue place, and uh, they'll tell you. I would suggest if you are doing any long range shooting course where you're out on the rifle deck laying prone in the sun in the summer, do not eat the entire barbecue plate or else you will fall asleep behind your rifle. Um, <laughs> it, it's a real thing that happens. Uh, so just a heads up, guys, check out Black Rifle Coffee, check out Sig Sauer, and uh, we'll get back to these questions. Okay, this question came from Harris, and a quick question. I was wondering, you carried a gas mask, right? And so he had a question about where he's carrying his gas mask. So yes, we did carry a gas mask at all times. Because we had separate reports during the Secret War of the NBA using uh, gas, and so we we had to always carry it. And then, uh, if in a contact situation when things got really bad, we always carried one CS canister for the M79 as well as a can of CS. So that if you popped it, we had a, a phrase I forget what it was now, but if we said gas, our guys would stop and try to get the gas mask on before they pop it. So that way it would always disorient the enemy enough to give you a chance to, to break contact enough to get away or pick up your wounded and move. And uh, so he was uh, asking the question in regards to his, and he carries his at, at all times, just like RT Idaho. <laughs> and then there was another question from, uh, from Joe. He said, you know, we always heard about uh, Vietnam being, during that, that crazy period of time, there was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So what was your favorite rock and roll? Well, you know, the the favorite song had to be The Animals. We got to get out of this place mm -hmm. if it's the last thing we ever do. <laughs> 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 and yeah, sex and drugs. There were drugs. Um, the drugs part of it, years later with the conventional troops became a major issue. And yes, we had some people that experimented even with special operations. But when it's time to run a mission, everybody's straight. And the other drug, I would call it alcohol. Some of our special forces people were very heavy drinkers because of what we came up against, both on a personal level, mm -hmm. as well as the overall concept of being secret. You can't tell your folks about it or anybody and carrying that around, as well as all the casualties we took, the men we lost. And the sex, you know, age is a little bit different different attitude about sex. They're a little bit more casual about it than uh, our Puritan upbringing here. I'll just let it be at that. The other day when DJ was talking out the, yeah, yeah. the uh, gathering that we had here, he said something really profound that a few of the guys that were in the audience came up to me and they're like, I can't believe this guy was so open about saying these things. Oh yeah. When he was talking about how you can't bottle up everything that you're experiencing. You need to speak to people. And he said how it's it's better for your health to let those things out, to tell someone, to tell anyone to, instead of stewing on these things and internalizing them, talking to someone that's willing to listen to you because it'll make you feel better. And I think that's the reason why so many of these guys are are journaling, right? Because even if they're even if they're just putting it on paper, they're getting something out of their head and they're putting it somewhere else. You know what I mean? I, oh yeah. So exactly what you were saying, you know, with the alcohol. Uh, I mean, it's a way of dealing with it, but it's not a permanent fix. You know, you gotta, you gotta seek out community and talk to people and see how they're dealing with it. And that will help kind of temper your understanding of how you can, you know, turn things around for yourself. Well, at that session when DJ was talking about that, you could hear a pin drop. Amazing. 
Yeah. Man, oh man. Yeah, and also, I mean, if you listen to Mike with the Sean Ryan on Sean Ryan's first podcast, mm -hmm. which now has had over 2 million uh, views, that was interesting because both of them were talking about how they both got out, they were both depressed, they knew it, and they were at a very dark moment in time, yeah. and then they both come back to be the tremendous successes they are today and an inspiration to so many of our young young people today. Absolutely. It's a great turnaround. I have one last question yeah, from- Yeah, far away. Yeah, I'm not even gonna name the name because it's a little bit personal, but he read On the Ground, he says, in On the Ground, you mentioned a girlfriend. And yeah, we, we did, I lucked out. We had, uh, in our compound, we had two or three women that could stay on base at night. And they were young, but uh, the one became close to me and uh, we had our own relationship for several months at Fubai. I remember one time coming back, well, after Echo 4, where we were down to our last magazine, the helicopter Kingby had 48 uh, bullet holes in it, and uh, we were lucky to get out alive. And uh, that night we came back, and how are you? Oh, well, you know, she said, I heard you had Buku NVA try to kill you because she worked in the club. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I said, yes, that's true. I'm glad to be alive. And so she cooked up some of her chow, and uh, we had a relationship there for several months until they closed FOB1. So it was like a little amazing. And I used to give her money to go buy food because she always cooked stuff at night after the club closed. And she always put the money back in my pocket. Wow. And she's just a beautiful gal. And uh, we had our own relationship there and it ended. She eventually uh, uh, married a South Vietnamese Air Force pilot. That's why I don't want to mention her name or anything. Mm -hmm. But it was uh, genuine, sincere, and uh, just a little moment in time, a little sidebar there, you know? Even in an absolute hellhole, you can find a little slice of heaven. Oh, indeed. Yeah, I did a couple of times, took the Jeep, went downtown, you know, and it was just amazing. Well, guys, that is going to pretty much wrap it up here for Coffee and Questions with John Stryker Meyer. Um, this has been awesome. I love this format. And uh, if you guys have any additional questions, you know, please reach out to John. You're on Instagram. On Instagram, yes, sir. J, the initial J, Stryker Meyer on Instagram. There you have it, guys. And I'm going to go back and talk to Jocko Willink. Mm -hmm. And uh, his technician, Kerry Hilton, just happens to be in the area of operations. And we're going to maybe do a follow-up for, for Jocko. Fantastic. So, it's guys. Great format. Thank you. Please, please share this if you enjoyed what you heard. And like, subscribe, do all that good stuff for our socials. Until next time, I'm Kevin Estella with Peel Cross Survival. Thank Don't you so much. Don't forget your black much. rifle coffee. Yeah, that's have right. Have fun with your Sig Sour. That's right. That's right. I'll do that today. <laughs> All right, guys. We're out of here. I'm going to get my espresso right now. <laughs>